You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Stephen Roach. All right, all right. Well, I warned you guys, I'm like a stray cat. If you feed me, I come back. And so here we are. Now, I love Queen City. I've got so much history with so many of you guys. It feels like I'm just coming home and it was crazy just driving down Presley Road this morning and seeing the old Morningstar building over there and just how many Friday nights I drove down from Greensboro just to uh, come and, and be in the presence of everything that was happening here. And it's just so beautiful. Uh, the worship this morning deeply touched me. It was awesome. It was really amazing. So, um, But yeah, this morning I am carrying a word that I'm excited to share with you. And uh, so I call it learning to see. And if any of you guys have been keeping up with uh, the breath and the clay and some of the stuff that we're doing, then you may have seen that we have our big international event happening uh, March 20th. And each year we focus on a different theme. And this year's theme is perception. And, uh, and so I'll read you what I said because I'm going to share some. Uh, my head's been in that world of, of perception and what does it mean, uh, this perception, how we see. Here's the, uh, straight from our website, what our theme is about. So it's a quote from William Blake. It says, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. The question is not what we see, but how we see. This year we're going to explore perception, all of its many facets, how we view God, one another, ourselves, and our art. The way we see impacts the art we make, the lives we live, and the worlds we build. We were created to see with eyes of wonder and creative astonishment at the infinite beauty within all things. How then does art awaken us to wonder and enable us to see with new eyes? It is our hope to learn to see with eyes of truth, beauty, goodness, and ultimately love. For all things viewed through love become art. And it is love which reveals the art hidden within everyone and in all things. As Van Gogh said, there is nothing more truly artistic than to love people. Therefore, love cleanses the doors of our perception. Um, So this morning, I want to talk about learning to see. And I have three, uh, I think preachers usually like little three-point bullet things, right? Isn't that what preachers do? They give you bullet points and stuff. So I made three bullet points, except they're not in a row. They're kind of scattered in the midst of poems and fragments and pictures of uh, men with branches and roots instead of arms and hands. But anyway, that's for another day. I have three points. You can write these down. One is gratitude. The second one is humility. And the third one is childlikeness. And I want to talk about how gratitude... And humility and childlikeness enables us to see the kingdom of heaven and alters the way that we view life. And there's, there's something that I've been thinking about in regards to how we see 
in the way that we view our lives, one another. See, when I look at you and when you look at me, I want you to see the art of God. When I look at you, I see the art of God. If I don't see the art of God, then I'm not seeing through eyes of love. I'm not seeing through eyes of truth, you know. But when I look at you, if I can see the art of God, my interactions with you will actually draw me closer to him because I can see a reflection of you. I can see a reflection of him in you. Because I wasn't busy enough um, making plans for a conference and traveling and speaking and composing music and releasing an, a weekly podcast episode, I decided that for the month of February, I would do my poetry challenge again. Have any of you kept up with the poetry is my protest thing that I started a couple of years ago? Yeah. So... I started this thing called Poetry is My Protest, and actually, interestingly enough, I started it in the uh, last election year, <laughs> just because I got so tired of, of the, the rants and the political this and that. So I said, Poetry is My Protest, and I started this thing, and I gave myself this challenge where every day for the month of February, I'm going to write and publish a poem uh, and put it on my Instagram account. So I decided to do that again because I didn't have anything else going on in my life. And uh, I want to read you one. Is that okay? Let's see. Now, if I use the word magic, you guys know that I mean like C.S. Lewis Narnia magic and not like Aleister Crowley magic, right? You with me? So don't hate me if I use the word magic. Um, let's see. I've written a lot this month. Which one is it? Awkward pause. Ah, here it is. True magic is not manipulating the gods or the elements, or nature, or situations to work our charm. But true magic is learning to see. Magic is not a wand, but a way. A way in which our griefs are distilled into gift, and the anguish of silence becomes a banquet of learned songs. Here, yes, even here, our crowns of thorn... Blossom the brightest rose. Here, yes, even here, our crowns of thorn blossom the brightest rose. So I started thinking about the way we see, and I began to think of the cross. And I began to think that from one perspective, if I tell you that there is uh, a naked, bleeding man hanging from a tree as a public spectacle. It's gruesome. There's nothing beautiful about that. An innocent man who did nothing deserving of death or public humiliation, and yet he hung in front of the entire nation, beaten, bloodied, ripped open, torn flesh, mocked, ridiculed. There's nothing beautiful about that. But if I told you that this same instance was the creator of the entire universe 
reconciling humanity to himself. And that through this act, that on the other side of the violence of it, that on the other side of the gruesomeness of it, it is the most beautiful display of sacrificial love that humanity has ever witnessed. It's just a matter of the way that we see. Here's a funny little story from my own life. Most of you guys know this at this point, especially some of my friends that are here today, that I owned and operated a window cleaning business for 12 years of my life, (laughs) which was the funniest thing ever some days, except when it wasn't. And uh, I had this love-hate relationship with this business because it was a gift. It was, you know, uh, we built this thing up as our livelihood, but like some days it was just all I could do to get up and squeegee on, squeegee off. (laughs) You know, and so I remember climbing this ladder one day and I just said, God, can you, will you please just surprise me today? Will you, is it, can anything good come out of this? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of the squeegee? (laughs) You know, and I climbed this ladder and I'm washing the window and, and suddenly I just felt that still small voice. Um, and she said, you know, this ladder is Jacob's ladder stretched between earth and heaven. And you are called to cleanse the doors of our, the windows of our perception. Your calling, Stephen, is to wash the windows of people's hearts and minds so that we can see clearly. And so that you can get the dirt and the grime off of the glass and then you can see that reflection and you can see through it into a whole different world. So suddenly my boring, mundane, everyday, no spiritual virtue whatsoever job that I had suddenly became a conduit of revelation. Suddenly, what I thought was mundane suddenly became magical, suddenly became a place where the voice of God would manifest to me. And so I started to take it a little bit further, and I was like, oh, well, let's, let's think about this some more. The name of the business was Drake, and I'm a wordsmith, and I love digging into what words mean and figuring that out. So I started studying the word Drake, and the first thing that I figured out is that Drake comes from a Nordic uh, Drakos, right? Which is where we get dragon. It's like, yeah, this business is a dragon, right? You know, <laughs> Got to slay this dragon. But then I also learned that the word Drake is also a duck. <laughs> Same word, right? It's also a duck. And... Some very strange, see, people ask me, what's your favorite characteristic of God? My favorite characteristic of God is the mischief of God. I want to write a book about the mischief of God one day. I, I, I still, that somebody said that phrase, Jehovah Sneaky, and I like it. He plays with me. God messes with me. Does God mess with you guys? I don't know if it's just me, but God picks on me a lot. He messes with me. And I like it. I pick back at him too. But he's better at it than me. But anyways, so I ended up renting this writing office right around the time my, my wife and I, we sold the business three years ago to begin pursuing the breath and the clay and, and to be, begin doing the things that we're doing. So right when I sold the business, several things happened. One, I rented this 
office to, to write in. And I go into the office and on all the walls of the office are pictures of ducks. And all, and the office had a mantelpiece in here and there are these models of these Drake ducks in the office. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And here's what's even funnier. Uh, the year that we sold the business, uh, I have a team of people. We always do these cool stage designs and, and everything at the, at the event that we host. So my team was, they were looking for, uh, elements for the stage design. And this guy comes up to me and he says, Hey man, we just had somebody donate 40 windows to us for our stage design. He was so excited. And he said, but I was wondering, <laughs> you know where this is going. I was wondering if you would wash the windows for us. <laughs> and so the first thing that happened to me when I sold this business is I, I rented a writing office with Drake ducks all over the walls. And the stage design for the breath and the clay, I sat behind the stage weeping washing these windows. And he reminded me of those years prior when I climbed that ladder and said, is there anything here of spiritual virtue? And he said, yes. And so I'm washing those windows and he's reminding me that he's called us to cleanse the doors, the windows of our perception to see clearly. Isn't that beautiful? So my encouragement to you is that every bush is on fire with the light and the voice and the presence of God. We just have to learn how to see it. See, the miracle was not that Moses saw a bush on fire. He lived in the desert. He saw bushes catch fire every day of his life. The bush catching on fire was a Monday morning experience, if you will. The real miracle of that moment was that Moses had attuned the sensitivities of his heart to recognize God speaking through the mundane. Moses had attuned the sensitivity of his heart to recognize there was something different about this bush. And then he stopped and he took off his shoes and he heard the voice of God that changed the destiny of a nation because of Moses' sensitivities to God. Now, the three keys, if you will, that I mentioned earlier, gratitude, humility, and childlikeness. I want to talk about those because I feel like those are the things that will help us see the bushes that are on fire in our lives. Those are the things that will help us begin to see our mundane with new eyes. See, I, I challenge myself to write a poem every day of the month, not because... I'm like some super creative whatever, but because I want to train and discipline myself to exercise those muscles that God has given me. I want to train myself to see. I want to learn to be attuned to what's around me because if I don't, I become a very uh, ugly person. <laughs> Because we were born to drink in wonder. We were born to engage with God. We were born to engage the supernatural. We were born to experience God on Monday as well as Sunday, on Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? And so three things. I want to start with gratitude. And I always position gratitude over against a spirit of poverty. Because... 
the poverty spirit, if you will, wants to teach us to look at what we don't have. The poverty spirit wants to teach us to look at our lack, to, to look at the things that have not happened yet. And to begin, and then, and then that spirit of poverty leads to self-pity. It, it leads to doubt. It leads to uh, mistrusting the promises of God. It, it leads to dissatisfaction. You know. But gratitude, on the other hand, first of all, it, it leads to contentment. Gratitude leads to contentment. Gratitude leads to the miraculous. My, one of my favorite stories is the feeding of the 5,000. And here they are with 5,000 people in the middle of the desert. They've been traveling with him for three days. They're hungry. They smell bad. <laughs> They're getting hangry. And the disciples are concerned and they come up and they're like, hey, we need to send the people home so they can get something to eat. And I love, again, the mischief of God. He just says, well, you give them something to eat. And I just see Peter and the guy scratching their head as Jesus often made them do. Uh, well, it's actually a long way to the city. And he's just like, you give them something to eat. And then I love he asks them, well, what do you have? What do you have? So what do you have? Don't look at what you don't have. There's a lot we don't have that we could look at and get caught up in. But the question is, what do you have? God asked Moses the same question at the Red Sea. Think about his situation. There's a sea in front of you and an army coming up behind you that wants to slaughter you. And Moses starts crying out to God. And I love what God says, even though I hate it when he says it to me. He said, Stop crying out to me and go forward. He basically said, stop praying to me and go forward. And then he asked him, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? And Moses had his shepherd's staff, which would have been the equivalent of my squeegee. <laughs> he had his shepherd's staff. It was the tool of his trade. It was his mundane And he said, extend that, you know, and when he did, the miracle happened. And the same thing with the feeding of the 5,000. What do you have? Well, we have a little boy's lunch. Ray Hughes would say he had a fish sandwich, <laughs> you know, he had two pieces of bread and a fish. And he took the little that he had, he took the not enough, he took the, this can't be possible, he took the... I'm not whatever fill in the blank enough. And he took that. And I love that Jesus didn't do the miracle. But he empowered them to do the miracle. And but what Jesus did do is he took the little that they had and he lifted it up just like Moses' staff. He lifted up the little bit that he had and he gave thanks and when he gave thanks, it suddenly started multiplying. And so the spirit of gratitude leads to multiplication. The spirit of gratitude leads to the miraculous. The spirit of gratitude leads to the impossible becoming possible. You know? 
So people ask me, what are the keys to creativity? Well, gratitude is the first thing that's a key to creativity, you know. I've I've learned to I've learned to see the many in the one and to see the one in the many. That might be a little esoteric, but uh I can take one word and see a universe inside of it. And then I can take a universe and I can see the one word inside of it when he shows us. Paul's prayer was that he prayed for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened, right? And he said also that we've been seated in the heavenly places with him. And so when we come into times of worship like this morning, it's like suddenly I'm transported to that place where we actually are. See, we're in that place all the time, but it takes these triggers, these moments with God where we suddenly are lifted up and we can begin to see from heaven's perspective. And gratitude enables us to get there. Thankfulness enables us to get there. So whereas they saw one sandwich, (laughs) they gave thanks and suddenly they saw the many. Does that make sense? And so then the second point is humility. And I wrote down, humility opens the door to wonder. Waking up each day as a beginner. Approaching all things as if they contain a mystery that desires to be given to us. What if we woke up every day and we began to anticipate the mystery of the day? What if we began to baptize our eyes, to recalibrate the way we see, to approach our every day as if there was a mystery waiting to be unfolded? Rather than here we go again. Like this isn't Groundhog's Day. Remember the movie? (laughs) You know, sometimes we live as if we're in Groundhog's Day. And sometimes it takes a lot of faith not to feel like that's, that's true. But with humility, humility opens the door to wonder because it enables us to approach everything as if we don't know anything. I think that's one reason why pride comes before a fall. You know? Is because pride assumes. Whereas humility wonders, you know? And it's uh you know, it's it's interesting too, Adam whose name means of the soil. You know, and this whole thing of the breath and the clay that we're doing, it it comes from Genesis, obviously, where he breathes into uh the clay figurine and then he comes to life. You know, the breath and the clay, it's like Adam's name means of the soil. And when you, there's a, there's a word, uh, humus that means dirt or humus that means clay. It's the top layer of the soil. Uh, humus has the same roots as human and humility. So, and so baked into the very core of our humanity is humility. So to be truly human means to be humble, to be low of the earth, right? And it's interesting to me that when Adam hardened his heart toward God, there was a direct consequence on the land. That when his heart was hard, suddenly he had to toil to get the earth to produce. 
There's a relationship between the condition of our hearts and the condition of the world around us. That's why I'm a bit of an environmentalist, but that's a different story. I just think it's connected. And so it's interesting as well that Jesus talked about the, our hearts in terms of different soil types, right? And then what did he talk about the word? But the word is a seed planted into the soil, you know? And what does this have to do with humility? It has everything to do with humility. Because I want the soil of my heart to be churned up, to be tilled. And that takes a daily rhythm of creating these daily practices. Even like for me, I just said, I just want to write every day. I'm going to write every day. Maybe for you, it's, I'm, I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. Maybe it's not even five minutes. Maybe it's 60 seconds. I just, um, I just did this interview with John Eldridge. You guys, I'm sure know John Eldridge. Go back and listen to that one. I just released it. It's the last episode on Makers and Mystics. And we were talking about uh, his new book that's just coming out. And he has this thing called the 60-second pause. You know. And so the 60-second pause is like, it's a countercultural protest, if you will, against the busy pace, the, the inhuman pace that we live our lives right now. And, the, and, and so five minutes for some people might be too much, but he's like, you can stop for 60 seconds and just pause and reset, you know? And when we get into daily rhythms like that and we begin to do those things, it churns up the soil in our heart and it enables that seed of wonder to be planted there again. And then my third point, childlikeness. To see all things anew. I want to read this. And then I'm going to give you one more little fun thing. Our normal way of perception. This is childlikeness. The reason I love childlikeness. Is because everything is always new for children. A stick is not a stick. A stick is a sword. You know. Let me read this. Our normal way of perception gives way to a heightened sensitivity. Sounds and color and overlooked details are illuminated to us. The world comes alive in new ways, revealing unexplored possibilities. Suddenly, matter doesn't seem to be so rigid, but it is pliable, able to be shaped and transformed. We enter a state of childlike play where all things become possible. A stick becomes a sword. A closet door leads to another world. A treetop is the crow's nest of a ship at sea. The exterior world disappears as the imagination constructs a deeper layer of creative encounter. And this is why, for me, I think that creativity is inherently tied with the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. Matter of fact, I think creativity is that Jacob's ladder extended between heaven and earth. Because, like John O'Donohue said, he said, the invisible hungers to become visible. And, it's, and, and I think that that's why, for so many people that, that, that don't know Jesus, or people that don't follow the way, art and music becomes a surrogate religion. Because creativity is spiritual in nature and healthy spirituality will always end up in a creative expression. The two are one and the same. Art and faith were never meant to be separated. And people recognize that. And that's why people that haven't made that connection, most of them go to art as a surrogate religion. That was a rabbit trail. Um, 
But childlikeness enables us, humility and childlikeness and gratitude enables us to see the world anew. So I want to challenge you. I don't want to just sit up here and talk about all this stuff. I want to challenge you that this week, I want you to drive to work on a different road. Or I want you to drive the same road and look at it differently. I want you to wake up and I want you to to stop for 60 seconds in your kitchen and listen to the birds outside your window. I want you to stop and begin to cultivate a sensitivity and an awareness. I love the idea that the word became flesh. See, sometimes we put the spirit and, and the physical world over against one another. Religion does that. But that's not Christianity. That's Gnosticism. Because the word became flesh. And so the, the, our body and the physical world and our five senses is meant to be holy. Why do you think he says taste and see? Hear, O Israel. It's through our, our being that we are meant to encounter the invisible becoming visible. And that again is why for me art and faith are so intricately interwoven and meant to be together. So I want to help us attune our senses to see the bushes that are on fire. You know, there's, um, oh yeah, the challenge. Did I finish that? So this week, take 60 seconds and pause and begin to see your world differently and ask God to surprise you and show you something different. And I promise you, if you keep going with that, suddenly your entire world will turn upside down and you'll see that heaven has been in your midst this entire time. We just needed help seeing it. See, so much of this, I'm, I'm not so much convinced that we're waiting for some heaven to come as much as we're baptizing our eyes to see what's already here. Like Paul prayed, let the eyes of your heart see what inheritance we have already received. It's that tension between the already and not yet. Um, but I'll, I, I want to share this with you. There are two words. One is tardama, and the other one is ecstasis. Tardama is the Hebrew word that's translated in Genesis 2.21. It said, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. That was when uh, God was, was bringing Eve forth, right? He said that he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. That word uh, for deep sleep is tardama, and it is, it does not mean that Adam fell asleep. If you look it up, it actually means that Adam fell into a trance. It means that Adam fell into an alternative way of seeing the world. Adam fell into a state of being in union with the Spirit of God that caused him to see things differently. And what's really interesting about that is that when Adam wakes up or when Adam comes back to normal reality, comes back through the closet door from Narnia, and he sees Eve standing before him, this is the first instance of poetry in the Bible. He says, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Suddenly Adam saw life differently. Suddenly Adam saw with eyes of truth, goodness, beauty, and love. From this state of being uh, united with the spirit of God. If you, if you read that, uh, I mean, when I say it was the first poetry in the Bible, if it's the first poetry uttered by a human being in the Bible. 
like the whole scripture there is written in poetic form. But when you, when you look at even the way that it is, that bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh is written in poetic stanza. And so I just love this idea that as we abide in the presence of God in our everyday, as we come into union with the spirit of God, that we will wake up to see things in a different manner. The stick will become a sword. The bush will be on fire with the voice of God. The ladder and the squeegee will prophesy. <laughs> Greek translations of the same word tartama is ecstasis, where we get ecstasy. And this is what's pretty cool. In Acts chapter 10, I love this story so much. Peter is up on the rooftop and he's hungry. I keep talking about food today. He's up on the rooftop and it says he falls into a trance. He falls into an ecstasis. And he sees uh, the sheet and the animals, right, coming down. And it happens three times. And what's really interesting to me is that that vision defied all of Peter's theology. It went against everything he knew about God. But Peter didn't say, get behind me, Satan, this evil vision. He just simply told God no. (laughs) He acknowledged that this vision was from God. He knew that what he had experienced was from God. But it was so weird and out there and different than anything he knew he just, he just said, not so, Lord. I love the intimacy that that reveals of his relationship with Jesus. To be able to say, okay, I know this is you, but nah. <laughs> but you know what? When Peter's humility, Peter's humility and his childlikeness, Enabled him to say, okay, God, I know this is you, but I don't get it. Show me what it is you want to do. And so the spirit of God then said, okay, well, three men are going to show up and I want you to go with them and don't doubt anything. Just go. And Peter's humility led him to trust God with something that was very foreign to him. Something that looked very different than his own religious experience. And when he followed them, what happened? But the door was opened to the entire Gentile world to receive salvation. It changed the face of the earth. It changed everything from his humility to follow God into something that didn't make sense, into something that he had not seen before. That excites me. It frightens me, but I love it. I absolutely love that. It's like... That's the invitation that we all have. And he did that with Peter over and over. If it is you, Lord, tell me to get out of the boat. Watch this, guys. He's not going to say that. We'll get out of the boat. Crap. And now you have to follow him. 
to step out of the boat. And I think that's the invitation that God is giving us today is to come to him with and say, Lord, help me to see with eyes of gratitude. Help me to see with eyes of humility. Help me to see with eyes of childlikeness so that we can follow him outside of the boat so that we can follow him uh, where the Red Sea begins to part in our own lives, where we can begin to to extend the, the, more, the normal mundane of our lives and begin to see those impassable places in our lives. We all have them, whatever that thing is that It's an impasse that we just haven't been able to get past. That rather than fighting that thing, we just need to surrender to God at that place and then step forward very carefully and very confidently, right? Was that encouraging? I want to see with the spirit of sonship and inheritance and spiritual wealth See, the poverty spirit makes us look at what we don't have, but the spirit of uh, sonship and daughterhood, uh, of inheritance, the spirit of spiritual wealth enables us to see the invisible as possibility rather than emptiness. To be able to see those places of lack as opportunity. See, art is made from limitation. I used, to, I used to think that limits were bad. But art is made from boundaries and, and, and limitations. And it's, it's actually, you know, and I, when he says in Psalm 16, the boundaries of the Lord are, are in pleasant places. You know, the very, the very limitations we have are the very places where the miraculous can show up. You know? And so I want to celebrate those. Um, I have one more poem for you. Can I end with a poem? This one might make you run me off because uh, it's a little edgy. (laughs) To awake each day as if the world is reborn within our dreaming. The camouflage of rhythm and routine, the smell of coffee and eggs, bird songs and automobiles, our celestial host in drag. Daylight is pregnant with new promise, and I hear laughter in the womb of God. That was my poem for today. So, thank you guys so much for listening. Can I pray for everybody? Can I pray for us? That'd be good. Why don't you stand? That's what, like... Church preachers and stuff do, right? We all stand. Then it gets real when we stand, right? I'm just kidding. Stephen, Uh you are a church preacher. I'm getting rebuked. (laughs) You are actually one of those people who are doing all those things. I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Father, thank you so much for your playfulness. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for continuing to come to us daily. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Lord, thank you for believing in us. Lord, we talk a lot about believing in you, but thank you for believing in us. And Jesus, we just receive the miracle of this moment. We receive the miracle of today. Lord, we receive the miracle that any of us are here. Lord, we receive the miracle of our union with you.
And Lord, this morning, I just pray for myself and for my friends here today that you would baptize our eyes to see afresh. Lord, that we know that repentance enables us to see from new perspectives. Lord, we know that forgiveness enables to see the world afresh. Lord, and so where we need forgiveness, to, where we need to be forgiven, and where we need to forgive others, Lord, would you help us to find forgiveness so that we can see the world as if it was brand new? Lord, would you help us to find repentance where we need to turn from things in our lives? We all have those things. And I just pray that you help us just to turn aside and begin to see the bushes on fire with your voice again. Lord, and I bless every mundane Monday morning in this room. And I pray that your surprise would come to us again and show us that heaven never grows weary, that heaven never grows tired, that we can't exhaust the wonder of who you are. And so, Jesus, as we go forward, um, I ask you, Lord, that you bless everyone with those eyes of the heart to see as you see and to know as you know and to laugh as you laugh. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.